Hi everyone, and welcome to Visual and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. George Telephorus, and on today's episode, we're talking to Senator Jordan Steele-John about what we need to do to get the NDIS back on track. Check it out. Hey, Jordan. Welcome to the show. Hello, George. Great to uh, to be here with you, matey. Hey, look, I've been following your uh, parliamentary career for a little while. I know that when you first entered the parliament, I was very excited and I was like, finally, you know, we've got one of our own in there. Um, yes. And you haven't let us down, have you? Oh, thank you. Well, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear you say that, mate. It's been a, it's been a wonderful couple of years, and I've just enjoyed every single minute of being able to work alongside, you know, as a green working alongside the disability community to get some great outcomes. Um, it's been an, an absolute joy, and I'm looking forward to continuing to do it. Yes, exactly. Now, I want to get your perspective on the NDIS. There was a pretty big uh, thing that happened a few weeks ago. You were a strong campaigner against the introduction of independent assessments, and there was an outcome that was completely, uh, I'd say, out of the blue in terms of what I, I saw coming. Um, how did you feel? And were you surprised? Uh, well, I, I felt incredibly proud um, of our community, George, um, and the way that so many disabled people uh, worked together alongside the Greens uh, from the minute these terrible proposals were kind of floated um, a couple of years back, uh, right up until uh, the kind of crunch time meeting uh, in in June um, to, to uh, put pressure on the Liberals and to, to share our experiences and our concerns um, in a way that resulted in uh, the proposals being dropped. And I, I remember when the news kind of broke, uh, initially I felt quite um, a little bit suspicious, you know, like kind of like it's a trap kind of <laughs> situation. Uh, but to hear in a, a meeting um uh, a couple of weeks back that the agency has actually cancelled uh, the contracts uh, for that they had they had uh, given out about $339 million worth of contracts to uh, perform independent assessments, uh, that they have actually uh, cancelled those contracts means that uh, independent assessments really are dead. Um, so that is fantastic. Um, and that is a testament to, I think, our shared power as a community. Um, you know, they tried to do, the Liberals tried to do something about us without us, tried to force these changes on us um, and working together between the disability community and the Greens, we were able to activate um, and make those calls to, to MPs and to decision makers and bring incredible pressure to bear in such a way that, uh, Morrison was absolutely humiliated uh, by this result, which I think is uh, a, a wonderful thing to achieve as a community. The, the, absolutely. The thing for me was that 
I, I, I had a bit of my faith restored in democracy because you, you, when this policy was introduced, it was done in a way where it was kind of like decided for us. And, and we sort of had to do all this work to say, oh, hello, here we are. Um, maybe uh, talk to us and see what we think. Um, and and see if that's you know the direction that we you know want to take and you know for a long time I mean the the government wasn't listening to us at all um, it, it really did change I think when when uh, when your fellow WA um, person um, Linda Reynolds came in she did really turn it around a bit didn't she. Well, I think what uh, happened is the more we learnt about these uh, independent these processes that the government wanted to to uh, subject us to, and the more that evidence that was gathered through things like the se the Senate inquiry process that that I participated in, the clearer it became that these processes were not only not going to work, they were going to be extraordinarily harmful. They were uh. going to fail to capture the, accurately the needs of, a, uh, of us as disabled people, um, and they were going to result in people not getting the support that they needed to live. Um, and I think that that motivated great opposition in the community. The the questions that we were asking, the agency and the government just didn't have answers to. Um, I think actually the, the watershed moment came again when uh, in the week leading up to the, uh, the, the uh, disability ministers meeting in June, um, we had uh, people, disabled people across the country making calls um, uh, and uh, contacting their, their disability ministers saying, go into this meeting and say no. We do not support these changes. Uh, you will not change our NDIS without uh, without the consent of disabled people. Uh, combining with the the willingness of the ACT's uh, disability minister uh, Emma Davidson, who's a is a green minister in the ACT, to actually go into that meeting and very clearly say before she went into that meeting that she was not going to consent. Uh, and then that gave, uh, you know, it gave space for the other ministers to follow and kind of give in to the pressure. So I think once again, we see the Greens and the disability community working together uh, is the story of, of this outcome. Um, and really the ability of our community together to, to wield a veto over changes to, to the NDIS um, that do not, that are not co-designed um, and don't have our best interests at the centre of uh, of, of what they're about. Yes, you're absolutely right. We need to give full credit to everyone that wrote to their, their local MPs, everyone that spoke up and and uh, and clearly sent a message um, to the government and, and you know, people like yourself, um, people like Sam Connor, there were lots of people who mm. were very, uh, very loud um, and, and very clear. Um, in, in the message. And I also think that, you know, credit to the states, like, you know, they they were very, uh, very uh, clear as well in wanting to understand what the whole point of, was behind 
and this and and how it would impact on people with disabilities. So collectively, um, I think that it, it, it was definitely a team effort. I'd, I'd like Absolutely to, um, was. Yeah. So Jordan, I'm really keen to get your views on some of the key areas of concern that and the minister, the government and the agency have been raising, particularly around um, sustainability and the, the uh, functional capacity of participants. I'll start with the um, sustainability issue first. In July, we saw the report that said that the cost of the scheme is growing and that it's growing more rapidly than had been anticipated. And one of the reasons is um, that there's a lot of people entering the scheme. And the other reason is that the cost of the plans are going up. What do you think of those concerns around scheme sustainability? Well, I think when we're talking about our NDIS, we need to ground the conversation in a shared understanding of what the NDIS is and what it was created for. Um, so we know that our NDIS was created uh, to make sure that disabled people are able to get the supports that we need uh, when we need them. Uh, and those supports would be determined. This was the, you know, the vision of the scheme by uh, reference and consultation with uh, ourselves, um, valuing and centering our lived experience. Um, the uh, practitioners uh, and medical uh, folks that we have worked with for a very long time, you know, that have data and information on what our support needs are, um, and uh, reference to kind of the supports that we were getting at the time uh, versus what we think we need in the future. So it's meant to be grounded and, and kind of guided by those ideas, if you like, um, and by grounding them in those principles um, uh, and kind of articulating them through uh, the legislation, we wanted to make sure that when somebody articulated, you know, I need XYZ to meet goal ABC, that they'd be able to get that support um, in the full knowledge that their life might change, um, that the context in which they live might change, that their goals might change. And as those things changes, that funding would go up and down uh, or, you know, any other direction um, to, to reflect that need, if you like. Um, now, as to questions of, you know, sustainability or cost or all of these things, what we've seen to this point is the government make a bunch of, like, uh, what I would characterise as scare tactic claims, really, about certain protections uh, around how much it would cost. Um, and they've they've kind of done the old kind of boogity-boogity-boo, this is really frightening, and therefore we need to cut NDIS supports, we need to make it more difficult to get on, we need to kick people off the scheme. Um, so the, the, the conversation about sustainability has arisen against the backdrop of the agency trying to get people off the scheme or... Uh, or indeed introduce independent assessments. Now, our response and my response in the Parliament has been, uh, first of all, 
bugger off. You know, you, you should not be making it more difficult for people to get on the NDIS, trying to kick people off the NDIS, trying to reimagine what its original purpose was. Um, and second of all, if you're going to make claims around, uh, you know, how much it's going to cost, you've got to be transparent about um, what are the projections that you're making, what are the assumptions that underline those projections, what are the financial sustainability reports actually say? Not what are the cherry-picked parts of them say that you want people to see so that you can justify your fear campaign. Let's have all of it and let's subject it to independent analysis. Um, and at every step of the way, the government and the agency have refused to provide that information, not only to the uh, Senate inquiries that I've been part of, um, but also to the ministers, the state and territory ministers that uh, co-run the scheme alongside the Commonwealth. Um, so I think we need to be really focused on what did we create the NDIS for? Remembering, of course, that its uh, purpose around giving people the support that they need to live a good life is actually a reflection of our broader Australian community value of fairness uh, and justice, you know, um, and that there is great support for for uh, us as disabled people getting those supports. Um, and then any and all claims made about the NDIS need to be able to be tested. Uh, the evidence provided for them need to be able to be subjected to independent analysis before we make any, you know, changes or even start conversations based uh, on those, you know, projections or suggestions. So I guess my short answer is, uh, George, that, uh, you know, this is a scheme that's meant to be there for everybody uh, that needs it to provide them the support that we need to, to live a good life. It's supported by our community. Um, and if you're going to make any suggestions about how to change it, you should be willing to be upfront and transparent about, you know, the underpinning assumptions. And so far, the government hasn't been. Yeah, that's, that is really critical, isn't it? The, we need to get the data and we need to fully understand the problem that, that, you know, if there is a problem. And one of the things that, you know, I find a little bit odd was that it was only two years ago, I think, when the NDIS funding was in surplus and, you know, the farmers were being you know, rescued from NDIS funds. So, how do we go from having this massive, you know, underspend to having a massive overspend? And the other thing for me is like, is it the plans that need addressing? Or is it something else around, you know, expenditure? But we'll, we'll talk about that um, a little bit later. Kind of the other, the other element, which is really around um, the fact that. And I've heard the minister talk about this a lot. Um, functional capacity um, in Suffolk ports is going down. So when you look at people who have been in the scheme since 2017, the data is showing that, that the longer you've been in the scheme, the, the lower you will rate your functional capacity. And the minister's you know, saying that, well, this is... This is not what the NBS is supposed to do. It's just that you know, need to increase in, in functionality. Do, 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 you, 
Dann ist es auch ganz ja ne? Well, I, I can tell you what does concern me, George, and, and what, quite frankly, makes me really bloody angry. Um, and that is the, the reports that we have, that we hear in my office um, and have heard consistently, I think, for the last three and a bit years we've been in, which is that uh, if you go along to your NDIS meeting or at any, at any opportunity you have to interact with the NDIS, if you give them anything other than the worst case scenario, or if you do anything other than use every single piece of your funding uh, by the end of your plan review period, in the next plan, your plan gets cut um, or you get kicked off the scheme. Um, and so uh, people feel a great pressure to go there into their meetings always and give the worst possible scenario um, and and to to you know try to use their funding in any and every way possible because they fear legitimately that if they don't use all their funding or if they say anything other than oh my god it's 10 times worse than it was the year before they'll have their funding removed or they'll be kicked <laughs> off um, so in that atmosphere, it does not surprise me at all that when asked about your function, people would say, oh, God, it's terrible. All the things are terrible. I've not only made no improvements, I've gotten worse. Because you actually feel as though you, and you feel legitimately, by the way. It's not just, oh, a bunch of, you know, worried disabled people. If only they trust the government. This is lived experience over and over again. Thousands of people would have reported to me over the years. Tens of thousands of people would have shared their experience in different, you know, online forums and what have you. If you say anything other than I am, you know, awful and I need more money, you get your money cut because the Liberals have instilled that culture into the agency and the agency leadership have picked it up as part of their never-ending quest to cut the NDIS and kick people off the bugger. Um, now, to the actual detail of the data that's released, um, to be honest, George, I don't trust it any more than I trust these claims that are being made about the the amount that the scheme is costing. These ideas about people's functional capacity declining were introduced in as part of the fear campaign to sell independent assessments. Um, and only a couple of months ago in the last quarterly report, if I remember rightly, um, the agency specifically said, you know, the, these forms of collecting data are unreliable and so not so many conclusions should be drawn based on the bunch of data that we're showing you here. And then in this report, they're saying, oh, alarm bells, alarm bells, people func people's functions declining. So I think the agency and the government, the Liberals, are presenting the information that they want to present in a way that they think will help them save their argument uh, and sell their argument. And I think we as a, as a community have a right to say, nope, uh, this has got to be put to independent analysis. Because at the end of the day, uh, both the government and the agency have completely de dissolved any level of trust. 
between the community uh, and themselves in the way that they tried to force independent assessments through. And I've told this repeatedly to the minister and the agency. Uh, we're now at a position where we cannot trust on face value anything you give us, anything you tell us. So if you want to make a claim about our scheme, you better pony up the data so that it can be independently analysed. And if you can't, um, then we better just stop the conversation there. Uh, because so far, all we've had is spin and fear-mongering uh, from people leading a scheme that should actually be centred on and was created to facilitate us disabled people getting the supports we need to overcome the barriers created by ableism to live a good life. That's what it was for. Um, and that's what these people seem to have forgotten. I, I, I was listening to you when you... You know, we're talking about the reasons behind why people would uh, yeah, say or report um, deterioration or um, less functional capacity. And I was kind of thinking, um, we've got a real problem here, don't we? Because um, if we've got, you know, this lack of trust with the government, and then we've also got, like, the, the the system cutting people's funding um, for reasons such as um, I don't know not spending at all or, or not putting things in a positive light. Then what do we do, Jordan? Like you know, it kind of feels like you know <laughs> that would be you know if if you know if an advocate for independent assessments was here. They'd say, oh, well, that's why we need independent assessment. Well, I, I think I think we've got to actually challenge this whole conception that, you know, people, we, we should be measuring increases or decreases in people's functionality as a measure of success, even if we could measure it, uh, you know, successfully. Because at the end of the day, here's the, the, the critical thing. The NDIS is not an insurance scheme. It's not an accident and insurance scheme. It is a social insurance scheme. Um, and it must... You, must, like you, that, you can't understand it without recognising that... Yeah, of course. Is, yeah, what's the yeah, difference yeah. So an accident and insurance... Yeah, absolutely. So an accident and insurance scheme would be, they're usually state-based systems, um, and you usually come into contact with them when, say, you're in a car accident, right? Um, and maybe you get a spinal cord injury because you've, uh, you know, ended up in a, ended up in a uh, car accident. Um, and at that point, what would happen is your, your insurance scheme would go, all right, what, uh, how much of your function can we, restore using your uh, pre-accident function as the baseline um, and then uh, beyond the point where we can uh, compensate you or kind of restore that function uh, what was the value of the function that you lost and then we'll compensate you for it so like in simple terms we'll give you a bunch of physio we'll pay for your operations you'll get 80 percent of your 
functional capacity back we had before the accident. The other 20% we can't return, so we will, uh, you know, give you a lump sum payment to compensate you for lost earnings over your lifetime. So that's your traditional accident and insurance model. And it has the core assumption at the center of it that there is a normal to which you can return as a person, if that makes sense. Whereas a social insurance scheme, such as the NDIS, are dealing with a cohort of people like disabled people uh, in Australia, needs to be premised on the understanding that there isn't a normal to return to. The point is not to like heal you to be well again, because actually the the barriers that you face, uh, the the impediments to your life, are an existent because exist because of the interaction between your impairment or your difference and the barriers in society creating and sustained. Uh, by ableism. And so the supports you need are actually to enable you not to return to some kind of normal, but actually to work towards and achieve your individual goals, taking account of the impairments that you have and the context in which you live. So um, you might uh, need XYZ supports to achieve ABC goal while you are living at home with your parents, for instance, and then you might want to live independently meaning that you will need different supports that may cost more, may cost less, as you move through your life towards different goals. The, the purpose being to support you to achieve your goals, not to return to a normal. And in the context of ever-changing goals within an ever-changing life context, um, the question of your functional capacity at a particular point is much less meaningful because you're not working to try to return somebody to a functional capacity that they had before an accident because you're actually focused on the barriers that exist in the in the community as a whole um, to that person achieving their particular goal at a particular time. D- does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it makes sense in terms of the need. You know, one of the things that the the independent assessments were throwing out was the concept of goals. Um, and that goals weren't important. But mm. clearly through a social insurance insurance scheme, goals are front and centre um, to what you uh, would need. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing that's that's really important in that distinction between social insurance scheme and accident insurance scheme is understanding that that, that it actually exists for, for everybody. You know, it exists for every person, disabled or, or non-disabled, should they acquire or have a family member with an impairment or difference um, and that we, we all kind of contribute so that we can all access it when and if we need, uh, shaped towards the the particular goal that we then may have as somebody that might come to be a participant in the scheme or have a child that, say, becomes a participant in the scheme. So it's much more akin to, say, your Medicare, or it should be much more akin to, say, Medicare, where where we all contribute, um, those who who have a bit more contribute a bit more those who have less contribute a bit less um so that if we need it that support is there um and, and that's the way that that we think about it we don't actually think about it in terms of 
you know, how much is it costing? So the, the focus is actually on the output for people. And then we work backwards from the output for people that is needed um, to the, to the you know, revenue source and the administration that is needed to achieve that output rather than, oh, there's only so much money in the pot, George. You know, we can't give you that headrest because if we give you that headrest, we won't have enough money for the poor children at the special school, George. You know, <laughs> that that thinking is, is has got to be done away with because actually what we are funding the NDIS to do uh, through its, its support of people achieving their individual goals is to tear down the barriers of ableism uh, created and maintained by uh, non-disabled folks in society. Um, you know, if you want you want the thing to cost less, if that's your goal, well then get rid of bloody ableism out of the society. Make places accessible. Make you know drive discrimination out of the education and the housing system and the employment system. That's the solution, not cutting people's plans and kicking off the NDIS. And this is where the clear two or the information linkages and capacity element of the this game and the, the part that's largely, you know, not talked about because it's not as as interesting to the media really. And the the role of ILC in in connecting people with the community, in addressing ableism as you said, and peer support, all of that all that stuff. You know, if you invest in that, you will bring down the cost of the scheme in the longer term. Well, if you what you've got to do, I mean, yes, tier two supports are very, very important, um, and we need to invest in them. I think also we need to make inclusive design part of everything, part of part of the way that we design our digital place and space, our physical place and space, our education systems, our housing system. Everything needs to have in inclusion of disabled folks at the centre. Um, so that as we build new things and bring new programs into the world, we're, we're making them inclusive and accessible for everybody, um, as uh, we should be doing under our, you know, commitment to certain international, uh, you know, uh, rights conventions, most certainly. Uh, but we can't, we, I guess my point, George, is in understanding that, you know, understanding the social model of disability and the, the reality that somebody's struggles related to being disabled are actually a result of that interaction between impairment difference and the barriers in society. It's actually everybody's collective job uh, to, to ameliorate those barriers. And every government program should be working towards that. And every state government program should be working towards that. And every local government program should be working towards that. Um, and and if, that, if there is a need to tax billionaires and big corporations a little bit more to get that done, well then let's you know let's bring Jerry Harvey in here, chuck, hook him up to a chair, and suck a couple of hundred million dollars out of him. Ah, oh, don't pick on Jerry Harvey. Come on. <laughs> I, I want it for you. <laughs> yes, poor Jerry Harvey. <laughs> Um, I want to put you in charge for a second now. Um, you know, if you were the, the minister for the NDIS, what would be the things that you would do to um, improve 
this scheme and make it turn it into that that social insurance scheme that you so clearly describe. What are the what are the practical things that you would do? Yeah, great question. Well, I think the, the Greens have a very clear vision for the NDIS, and it begins on uh, begins with with coming becoming very like being very clear in what in what the goal is. What are we trying to achieve? Um, so we we believe that we need to have an NDIS uh, that is there for every disabled person that needs it, uh, regardless uh, of where they live, regardless of what their support needs are. Um, it needs to be able to get you the support that you need quickly, and its processes need to treat you with respect. Um, it needs to be easy to access, easy to navigate from beginning uh, to end. Right. So to achieve that, we need to do uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, we need to uh, make sure that we hire more people uh, to work at the agency to bring those wait times down, because we know that people are waiting too long, um, speaking to too many different people at too many different points, uh, because actually we've got 3,000 odd people working there in a scheme that actually needed about 10,000 people to run it properly. So we need to hire more people to bring those wait times down so that people can get in and get what they need quicker. Um, we need to make sure that those folks are trained properly um, and that we have an increase in the number of uh, disabled people working in the scheme uh, so that uh, people that you are talking to actually get it. They have a lived experience, they have an expertise, uh, they've been trained properly to do that work so that we don't have any more, you know, is Down syndrome permanent type situation. Um, then we need to make sure that these artificial barriers that have been erected inside our scheme by the Liberals are brought down. Uh, so we need to make sure that people with uh, psychosocial disability, uh, people with chronic illness, uh, are able to access the NDIS easily. So we need to get rid of those barriers to, to being eligible. Um, so that people, everybody can get what they actually need without this kind of, no, no, it's meant to be the health system. No, no, it's meant to be the education system. When at the moment it's, you know, that just ends up meaning it's nobody. Um, so we need to address those eligibility criteria constraints and make sure that whether you've got MECFS or you've got any of the, you know, chronic pain conditions, if you've uh, got a psychosocial disability, you can get in, get the support that you need. I don't want to hear any more about, oh no, this is the mental health system's response. Uh, under a Greens run NDIS, uh, it will be clearly something the NDIS deals with um, and deals with quickly and respectfully without any of this silly stigma um, that exists around, you know, if you have a mental health um, challenge. Uh, and then finally, we've got to get rid of the um, the the awful cutoff at 65 uh, where you're no longer able to be uh, eligible for the NDIS and you're just kind of left to the aged care system that isn't able to support you so we want to see an expansion of the of the age criteria so that it actually doesn't matter what age you are you're able to get on the NDIS um, so that's just a just a couple of things that we uh, want to do to make sure like I said that everybody can get it wherever they are quickly and respectfully um, without having to feel like you're fighting the system that was set up to, to support you. I, I like a lot of what you said. The one thing that um, I would want to uh, 
clarify is, you know, how do you stop? How do, you know, one of the things that's really important, I think, is that all all parts of government and society, you know, continue to do what they've got to do um, for people with disabilities and, and you know, whether, you know, the education system or the health system, I don't want to go to school and, you know, the, the school's like, no, you'll get MBS problem, go and, go and study at the MBS school or, you know, like, we need to be um, really vigilant that all systems of government continue to, not continue to, start to do what they need to do to be inclusive and meet the needs of people with disabilities. So how how would how would you address that in your in your approach? Yeah, absolutely. Um so the other two things the Greens are gonna talk about and, and we are talking about um ahead of this election is the need for two fundamental changes. We need a we need a proper national disability strategy uh, that in, that encompasses all of what you've been talking about and make sure that, that there's a there's a realization that that actually confronting ableism and breaking down the barriers it created is every is every department's responsibility um so that you don't get that buck passing and that looks like actual tangible measurable uh commitments uh like for instance it, uh, an australian uh public service uh employment quota of 20 percent um in in the in the australian uh uh public service for for disabled people um it looks like a, a actual plan like, like a, a stepped out plan to eliminate segregated education and ensure mainstream inclusive ed for everybody uh, by 2030 uh, in line with the Australian Coalition of Inclusive Education's uh, kind of uh, outline for, for that goal. Um, so we need to do that. It needs to stop being this sloppy motherhood statement dominated nonsense document um, that everyone goes, oh, isn't that lovely? We'll put it up there on the fridge. You know that kind of attitude to the disability strategy. So we need we need to get we need to get rid of that um, attitude. Um, and then the second thing we need to do is we need a disability discrimination act with teeth. Um, we need a, a new DDA. It's twenty years old now, or, or more than twenty years old now, um, and it is not the legislative like what it does at the moment is it forces you as a disabled person to pursue an individual issue yourself um and then the most it can do is make you conciliate with the party that's subject to the discrimination um and then that settlement doesn't actually set a precedent necessarily we need a, D a disability discrimination act that enables the disabled person to make the complaint um, and then not have to take on the emotional and physical labor of pursuing that complaint meanwhile the commission takes on the discrimination issue drags the corporation to the table kicking and screaming forces them to make changes and then those changes result in a precedent for the affected industry or particular issue you know, um, so those two things working together, a concrete plan with measurables um, to which people will be held accountable if they're not met um, and a DDA with teeth um, uh, will, I think, drive some of those changes you're talking about. Thanks, Jordan. Yes, you're absolutely right. 
Rastro de Civilizados e uma fonte de, de IAR Essential to improve outcomes for disabled people. Look, I might end on this question. What's it going to take to get Senator Steele John to be our next Prime Minister? Oh dear, I can only imagine the look on some people's faces at that idea in the Labour Party and the Liberal Party. It's it's quite funny. Uh, I look. I think that we have an incredible opportunity in the in the aftermath of our wonderful demonstration of power as disabled people in defeating independent assessments. Uh, to now look at the at the NDIS and the disability policy space generally that we want to see. Um, and I think that by, uh, well, I really, to be honest with you, George, I'm really quite excited about the federal election because it is in many ways closer than many people think. Um, I think that the, the Liberal Party is very much on the nose. The Labour Party need a, you know, a, a, like a bigger swing than I think they will get to, to win government in their own right. Um, and even if they were to win government in their own right, I think their track record on some disability policy stuff isn't, isn't too great either. Um, and probably the ideal outcome would be the, the Greens in shared balance of, of power, um, meaning that we'd kick out the Liberals, but still when it comes to the NDIS, um, you know, we'd hold the balance of power as to what changes are um, that we, we need. And that's how we'd actually get it done together. Um, so I, I think that's what really excites me. That's the idea of being able to, uh, you know, be in a position after the election to, to refound to refound our NDIS, um, to to fix the, the to fix the issues that have developed through ten years of total mismanagement, um, and uh, also to address those other things that are outside the remit of the NDIS that are so vital uh, to to create an accessible and inclusive uh, society for everyone. That's very interesting times coming up. Jordan, thank you. You've been great to talk to. I really, really look forward to seeing your political career go from strength to strength. You really are a fantastic advocate and you have my full support. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you so much, George, and thank you for the work that you do. Um, you've been a, a an invaluable source of information over the last couple of years. I've really appreciated your help and guidance at times, and uh, I really look forward to continuing to work with you um, to uh, to get some good bloody outcomes for our community. Thanks. See you next time. Cheers, George. See ya. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary. Brought to you by the Summer Foundation. To be notified of future episodes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Thanks for watching, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.